Thanks, Joel. Okay. Good morning, everybody. I could do the old Brother Bill, but most of you don't remember that. Brother Bill would get up when he would preach and say, Good morning, church. Good morning, Brother Bill. And everybody else would say, Good morning, Brother Bill. So the, the copyright on that phrase has actually expired, so I can use it without having to pay any royalties to Bill, like I used to have to pay back in the day. I want to begin this morning's message where we began in part one of this message just a couple weeks ago with the Word of God. But first, let me tell you why I think it's so important that we focus on the Word. It's important especially in the light of what we're going to look at today because as we often say, the Word of God is our standard for faith and practice. So it's not just our guide, but it's our standard. In other words, our foundation for faith, what we believe and for practice. In other words, what we do with what we believe, our words and our actions. And I think this is always true, regardless of the times we live in. But I will say that it's especially important in this cultural moment in which we find ourselves. I really believe we must be guided by Scripture. I think we need to be guided by Scripture because we're so often troubled, we're so often disturbed when we think about what's happening in our culture, that it's easy for us to react poorly with kind of a knee-jerk reaction. When we read something, when we see something on screen, uh, when we hear something in the news or whatever, and we have this kind of knee-jerk reaction that can bring anger or despair instead of a measured, scripture-informed, biblical response. So again, with that in mind, let's rehearse. Let's rehearse some of the things we looked at last time to begin, from the Word of God especially, and then we're going to unpack some more of the implications of these verses in part two of Stand Firm, Five Foundations for this cultural moment. You may remember this is the passage of scripture that we highlighted last time and we're going to continue in this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 13 and 14. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So last time we looked at how worn out that we sometimes feel dealing with all the bad news, the troubling reports about what's happening in our world and what's happening in our culture. I wasn't primarily thinking about things like the bad news about the war in Ukraine or all the mass shootings. That's certainly bad enough and that troubles us and it should trouble us. But I mentioned last time that I was thinking primarily of the two significant moral issues which have become contentious political issues in the past 50 years. I'm thinking, first of all, about our confused and broken culture on issues of sexuality and gender, and secondly, our culture's view of the value of life and the battle over abortion, which, despite the uh, victory in the Roe v. Wade being overturned, is certainly not over. I wrestle now with whether or not to even show you this image of a man dressed as a woman with a child putting dollar bills into his thong like you'd see in a strip club, and parents smiling and taking pictures of the scene. I don't know about you, I think that's a very disturbing image, and it kind of makes me want to cry. I think of these poor kids and what their parents are trying to teach them is normal. But it tells us so much about what we're up against in this season of history. And believe me, 
I read and see things like this almost every day. So we can't just say, well, this is an odd occurrence. This hardly ever happens. It's happening, brothers and sisters. It's happening all over the country, and it's happening every day. This is part of our culture now. The most troubling thing about it, again, is the parents. It's the parents who are not just okay with this, but look at they're celebrating it. They're taking pictures of this. In the end, I decided to use this image because I think it illustrates with clarity what we're facing in our cultural environment. These things generate so much talk, so much news, so much debate and division that sometimes I just have to separate myself from the news on television, on radio, online. Why do I have to separate myself? Because frankly, it's disturbing. It's depressing. And it can lead to despair if you just kind of dwell on it. As we mentioned two weeks ago, I don't believe God ever wants us to come to rest in despair because he knows our frame. He knows our limits. Now, lament, as we noted again a couple weeks ago, lament may be appropriate. We see lament often in the Psalms. Of course, we see it in the book of Lamentations in Scripture. But what we see in Scripture is lament. It's not outright despair because in Christ there is always hope. In Christ, there is always hope. Our hope is always, if it isn't, it should always be in the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for our redemption. So as we read a couple weeks ago in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24, I won't read it again, but you can review it if you want to. But in a very real way, 1 Corinthians 16, the verses that we read at the outset that we rehearsed all last time, is a foundation for our response of hope. Hope in Christ, not hope in politics, not hope in governments, not hope in movements, or anything else that people put forth as a solution to the problems that our society is facing. We looked just a few weeks ago about how it feels to try to stand firm in the midst of the cultural winds we're encountering. It's like trying to keep your footing in the midst of a 100-mile-per-hour wind of a hurricane. It ain't easy, right? That's one reason Paul gives us these five foundations for any season of human history. Be watchful, stand firm, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And let's face it, in this particular season of human history, if we're to stand firm in the truth of Scripture, if we're to stand firm against the cultural winds that are blowing in our faces, we are nothing less than strange. We're just as strange as that guy looked trying to stand, stand up and stumbling through the hurricane. We're weird, we're out of place, and to the world's way of thinking we're out of touch, or a phrase I've really come to hate, we're on the wrong side of history. If we stand firm in the truth, it could cost us. Another thing we looked at last time was how we're sometimes like Frodo Baggins in Lord of the Rings, who said he wished he didn't have to live through such times. And Gandalf the wizard agreed with him, but he said all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. No one likes to deal with these things. This isn't fun, and we've even noted that it can be depressing. It can lead us into despair, but as Gandalf says, we, all we have to do is decide what we can do with the time that is given us. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then if you remember that clip we saw last week, Gandalf reminds Frodo that there are other forces at work in this world. That's like another wise person named Solomon who wrote, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the verse in Lamentations that we mentioned just a few moments ago, because of the Lord's mercies, that passage in Lamentations says, because of the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. And finally, Gandalf told Frodo that he was meant to have the ring. He was meant to have the ring, and that this was an encouraging thought to Gandalf. As we remembered Esther in Esther chapter 4, who was told by Mordecai that she may have become queen for such a time as this. Clearly, since God is sovereign, he has chosen you and he has chosen me to live in this time, in this physical place, as well as in this place in human history and salvation history. It's no accident that any of us are living here now. God has a plan and a purpose for all of us who follow Christ. And we're trying to stand firm in the midst of a hurricane of cultural change. But we must remember what Paul told the church in Corinth in his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Perplexed. Anybody feel perplexed when you watch the news? But not in despair. Struck down, but not destroyed. Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Why can we say this? Why can we say we're not crushed, despite the things that are happening? Because the power to stand firm is not from us. It's not in us. It's from God. And it's from him alone. So Paul wrote, be alert. He wrote, stand firm. But he also wrote, act like men. So this is a logical question. Does that mean women are off the hook? Is this part of Paul's admonition just for men? Not at all. Act like men here is a frequent command in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's used in contexts encouraging people, especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength in obedience to the Lord and with confidence in his power. So though the more literal translation is act like men, at least a few versions say be brave or be courageous. And let's face it. Some of the things Christians are facing may require courage. We looked last time at the member of parliament from Finland who was charged with a hate crime for quoting scripture that says marriage is between a man and a woman and criticizing the Lutheran church in Finland for supporting a gay pride parade. And then closer to home, there's the ongoing case of Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips is the Colorado baker who owns Masterpiece Cake Shop in a Denver suburb, and he's had to defend his Christian beliefs in the courts and in the court of public opinion for 10 years now, and it's not over for him, despite the fact that he won the first case that made it all the way to the Supreme Court. He was charged with discrimination by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and subsequently he was sued 
by the gay men that asked him to make a wedding cake for them, which he declined to do. Ironically, gay weddings weren't even legal in Colorado in 2012 when they brought this suit. The original cake was decided in favor of the gay couple. The cake shop was ordered not only to provide cakes for same-sex marriages, but to quote, and this is from the original ruling that he lost, to change its company policies, provide comprehensive staff training regarding public accommodations discrimination, and provide quarterly reports for the next two years regarding steps it has taken to come into compliance and whether it has turned away any prospective customers. This is Jack Phillips, and he's the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop. He appealed the decision to the State Court of Appeals, and he refused to comply with the state's orders, instead opting to remove himself from the wedding cake business. And Phillips said that cost him 40% of his business. He lost in the State Court of Appeals, too, and then it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled in his favor after he'd lost twice in the different Colorado courts. And in a 7-2 to two decision, the justices set aside the Colorado court rulings against the baker, but the ruling was pretty narrow. It was focused on what this court described as anti-religious bias on the part of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission when it ruled against Phillips. And here's the thing, that was not the end of it. Since that ruling, Phillips continues to be targeted by activists. There was the Colorado attorney who asked him to make a cake celebrating a gender transition and then sued him under the same Colorado law. This request was made the same day that the Supreme Court agreed to take the original case. So LGBTQ activists are targeting him. They are weaponizing discrimination laws against him. The attorney that sued him over the gender transition not only sent him hateful emails, but asked for another cake depicting Satan smoking a marijuana joint. So this is kind of over the top, isn't it? This is kind of over the top stuff that this brother in Christ is dealing with. Do you think it took strength of conviction for this man to face this persecution and prosecution? He received hate mail, a lot of it. He received death threats, and he's still having to spend himself and his livelihood in the courts. So this is just one of many examples that we could point to when someone is trying to stand firm in their Christian convictions and they had to have courage and they paid a price for living out those convictions. Here in America, that's just here in America, we could cite many more. So the Apostle Paul encouraged us, he exhorted us to have courage. We're alert because we know these things are happening. That's one of the things we're trying to accomplish in the last message and in this message. We stand firm in our Christian convictions and we have courage. Scripture tells us to have courage and to be strong. This is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. So I want to read several Scriptures here this morning, and I want to let the Scriptures minister to us as we apply these passages to the times that we are living in starting with Isaiah 12, 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You think Jack Phillips knew that verse and lived by that verse? Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified because, because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 2 Timothy chapter 1. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And then a longer passage, Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if, it says when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. You see echoes of 1 Corinthians 16 in these verses. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So again, you see those five foundations mentioned in this one passage of Scripture, 1 Chronicles 22. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Romans 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced, Paul wrote, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's apply these things, brothers and sisters. Let's apply them to our lives. Let's apply them to our situations. 
Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Proverbs 28, the wicked flees though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. First Chronicles, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus he's told us these things. None of these things should be surprising to us. He's told us these things. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Psalm 31, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Philippians 4, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And finally, Isaiah 41, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So why do I take the time to read this long list of scriptures? Because it relates entirely and fully to this admonition we see in 1 Corinthians 16, to be strong and to have courage. Related to courage, again, is strength. We see these two things combined so often in many of the passages of scriptures we read, right? Be strong, be courageous. You kind of have to have both, don't you? It's hard to be strong if you're not courageous. It's hard to be courageous if you're not strong. Paul combines these two thoughts in the opening verses of the chapter we read from Corinthians. The clear implication is that Paul, you know, he's writing to a specific time and place. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And he must know, he does know, that there's some situations that are tempting the Christians of Corinth to be cowards, to be fearful. They may be threatened by some danger, challenged by some heavy responsibility, tempted to be cowardly, or maybe to let the cultural winds just carry them off. The Greek word Paul uses here for act like men or have courage is the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's a powerful word. It's a word of command. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church here, and they, like us, are feeling the pressure of cultural identity with 100-mile-per-hour winds threatening to knock them down. So Paul exhorts the church of Corinth, and down through the centuries he exhorts us to act like men. In other words, to have courage, not to be timid or alarmed at enemies, to be bold and brave. But Let's pause just for a second here, take just a little bit of a sidebar. It's very easy for us to see, for example, pro-aborts and LGBTQ advocates as our enemies. It's especially easy to see them that way when you hear a story like we just told about Jack Phillips and the clear hostility toward his faith that was displayed. And we talked earlier about knee-jerk reactions. Your knee-jerk reaction is to want to fight, right? You want to fight for Jack Phillips and for the courage that he is displaying. But a moment ago we read a passage from scripture from Ephesians 6, that's in that long list there, and that passage should discourage us from seeing those who oppose us in these cultural issues as enemies. Our enemy is not these people, our enemy is the enemy of our souls. Ephesians 6.12, which we read a moment ago, I'll read it again. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. My brothers and sisters, we must always keep that in mind. The people who oppose us in our culture, the activists, the demonstrators, the politicians who support legislation and policies that promote these sins, these people, these flesh and blood people, are not our enemies. They are image bearers of God, just as all of us in this room are. They are deceived by the enemy of our souls, but they are created by God. We need to love them and pray for them. But, that said, we are still admonished to be strong. We are still encouraged to have courage. So when we read be strong, is Paul telling us here we need to get to the gym and do more reps with more weights? Can you see yourself pumping a little iron, right? Are we all supposed to have biceps like James Thorpe or Jason Feathers or Rob Parker? <laughs> You've seen those guys? They are buff, man. The word Paul uses here for be strong is more along the lines of be strengthened. It means be strengthened. Paul recognizes our weaknesses. He knows that the resources we need to stand firm, to have courage, to be alert, cannot be found in and of ourselves. We're only strong in Christ. That's the only time we're strong. And in Christ alone. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God spoke to Paul here in this passage, and Paul wrote this, but he, speaking of God, Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a remarkable thing to think about. That's a remarkable thing for Paul to say. Ephesians 6.10, which we read a moment ago, tells us, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Power through his spirit, that he may strengthen us, not that we work it up. Even King David sought this. David was greatly distressed, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It strengthened himself, it says, but his strength was in the Lord. There's nothing here in any of these passages about grit, about determination, about work up your own strength. If we rely on our own strength in this cultural moment, we will fail. And we will fail miserably. We will fail to be alert. We will fail to have courage. We will fail to stand firm. So these first four things are vital foundations for our response to this cultural moment. Reviewing again, be alert, stand firm, 
be courageous, be strong. But the being alert part sometimes causes us to lose our courage and our strength when we see the troubling trends in our culture. Consider this reality in today's world, prophetically predicted a hundred years ago by G.K. Chesterton. He wrote this a hundred years ago. We shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure and hang a man for maddening a mom with the news that the grass is green. As just of one of many examples in our current culture I could cite, there's a recent story I read about a Wyoming senator, and he did the commencement address at the University of Wyoming. And this was the line in his speech that got him into trouble. Listen to this. Even fundamental scientific truths, such as the existence of two sexes, male and female, are subject to challenge these days. Well, this statement led to prolonged boos and jeers from the audience. It also led to an apology later from the university president and an official statement from the university which said, our faculty and staff know this is not scientific truth. Regardless of biological sex, gender has a wide variety of expression. Research and lived experience continue to reveal more about the connection and interaction of gender presentation and identity. So, if anybody, if any of you young people here are thinking about going to the University of Wyoming, let me, especially if you want to study science, this faculty and staff, it says they don't believe the scientific truth about the existence of two sexes, or that sex and gender are, at least until about five minutes ago, the same thing. In a world where black is now white, up is now down, left is right, and as Chesterton implied, it seems that we might even want to believe that two and two might make five. We have to ask the question that Francis Schaeffer asked in his book published about 50 years ago. How then should we live? All these things are true. All these things we've rehearsed and talked about last time and this morning, if they're all true, how then should we live? There are a lot of ways that we could answer such a question. But again, we want to be guided by Scripture, right? And this passage in 1 Corinthians is only a start. So far, we've only briefly touched on what Paul sees as one undergirding principle of these foundations. So remember, just three chapters earlier, we know the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And what's the end of that chapter say? The greatest of these is love, right? Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 tells us, let everything you do be done in love. It seems to me that this is the hardest part of these five foundations. Yes, of course, we are to do everything in love. But what does that look like practically? How does this doing everything in love while also being alert, standing firm, being strong, being courageous, how does it work itself out in everyday life, in our encounters with our neighbors, with our friends, with our colleagues at work or school? Scripture encourages us to be gentle, right? Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Scripture encourages us to be winsome among those who oppose us. But you may have already noticed something that's become very clear to me in recent years. We used to say that we should love the sinner and hate the sin. And there's some biblical truth in that, okay? But you know what? This does not work anymore. Have you noticed that? It doesn't work anymore. If you have a friend or a family member 
who says they are gay or transgender, when you tell them that you love them deeply and will always love them, but you cannot affirm, let alone celebrate, their homosexual behavior or their transition from the sex God gave them to the one they seem to want for themselves, they receive that as hate. You can be loving, you can be winsome, you can be kind, you can be gentle, all the things that scripture encourages us to be, and they receive it as rejection. So with these issues and other cultural issues, being nice, being gentle, friendly, and loving, isn't really enough anymore. But it's what we've got. Being nice isn't going to change anyone, or it's going to bring anybody into the kingdom. Being nice is not the way to lead people into the kingdom, but it's part of it. Only the Holy Spirit can change hearts and minds. That's a reality we have to recognize. Yet even though our niceness, our gentleness, our winsomeness alone won't win the day or win the lost, we are still, despite these truths, we are still admonished in so many places in Scripture to do everything in love, regardless of the response. Just for example, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What do you notice about this passage of scripture besides the continuing admonition to be uh, gentle? I don't see any guarantees here. It says God may grant them repentance. Perhaps is not a sure thing. It's certainly not a promise. They may, it says, it says they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Yet the admonitions remain unchanged regardless of the results we can see. Our behavior shouldn't be any different just because it doesn't seem to work. We cannot be quarrelsome, but we must be kind to everyone. We must patiently endure evil. We must correct opponents with gentleness. The rest is up to God. Again, we're not the Holy Spirit, but we are his witnesses. I don't know if you've noticed a consistent thread the last three weeks from this pulpit. A couple weeks ago when I preached, last week when Gordon preached, and today's part two, and that's this. Our work and our calling have not changed, regardless of the times that we live in. We are his witnesses, and Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So doing everything in love means we set an example of godliness for unbelievers, even if it doesn't seem to make an impact on them. We noted earlier we're a strange people. I think we should embrace that weirdness, and we should live according to Scripture. We may be spoken of as haters and evildoers, like Jack Phillips was. He got all that hate mail. He got death threats. But Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. 
Now, on the other hand, since we cannot guarantee a positive response from those to whom we even consistently show love, if we stand firm, we must be prepared to suffer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he writes, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. And then chapter 4, beginning with verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. How many of you feel blessed when you get insulted? But that's what Peter says. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our culture has completely lost the ability to respect one another, uh, even amid disagreement. We've all heard stories of people who believe that if you think differently, you can't be friends. Many, many of you maybe have experienced this yourself. You've lost friends because you've expressed a difference of opinion. As followers of Christ, we cannot, we must not let that become our heart attitude. We must love those on the other side of the ideological fence. It's possible, it's even necessary, to develop relationships with those who disagree. We cannot give in to the cultural pressure of hating those who don't see things the way we do. It would be easy to do, wouldn't it? It would be very easy to do, to give in to that and just start hating these people because they hate us. He hates me, so I'm going to hate him back. Scripture tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's a commandment for all of us believers, even if your neighbor is a liberal atheist trans who supports abortion. Let everything you do be done in love. This doesn't mean we approve or affirm without question. It doesn't mean we compromise our convictions. If that was true, Paul wouldn't have written to us in 1 Corinthians 16, stand firm. He's talking about standing firm in the faith and all that that entails. Found this great quote, authentic Christian ministry is impossible without love. Truth is hard if it is not softened by love. And love is soft, it is not strengthened by truth. Amen to that. Let me ask this question as we close this morning. Can we be the Christians, as individuals, followers of Christ, can we be a church that embraces all five of these foundations for life in this cultural moment? Can we model what it means to be watchful or alert can we model what it means to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous, to be strong, and over everything else, because the greatest of these is love, can we model what it means to do everything in love? Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is so clear and is so applicable to so many parts of this time in history and in our daily lives. That's always true, Lord, but some of these things just jump out in us in a way that uh, they never have before 
as we consider the truth of your word. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to continue to be alert, to never hide our heads in the sand and wish these things would just go away, to say, nah, 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 I don't want to hear that, that we would be alert. But in the midst of this, Father, alertness and knowing what's actually happening, that we would stand firm in the faith, that we would be strong, that we would be courageous, and above all, Lord, that we would always have the hallmark of our lives be that we do everything in love. Help us to be that, Father. We know that we can't be that way in and of ourselves. We know that we need you to make us strong. We need you to make us courageous. And we need you to help us stand firm in the faith. And above all, Father, we need the love of God that's been shed abroad in each of our hearts to help us to do everything in love in this cultural moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.